Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. I'm Matt Stein from Working Concept in Seattle. I'm Jonathan Melville from MDD in Atlanta. I'm Verity Stothard from Society One. And today we have on Vladimir Konstantinovich Magdalene from Webflow. How you doing, Vlad? <laughs> I am doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you say your name for us with a nice thick Russian accent, the full one? Oh, oh boy, it's a Vladimir Konstantinovich Magdalene. Oh my God, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I spent a good I spent a good chunk of my life being embarrassed about that name, but mm. now I'm like, this is the best asset I have. Oh my God, it's <laughs> such a badass it's an name. Amazing name. You could be a Bond villain, you could be a hero, like you could be anything with that name. That name's amazing. Well, I already am all those things. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure I can do even more. <laughs> well, we're having you on today because we want to talk to you about Webflow, right? Awesome. So if you were on the White Cliffs of Dover and were about to base jump off of it and someone next to you said, hey, Vlad, what is this Webflow thing? How would you, how would you answer them? First, I would be like, what the hell are you doing asking me about Webflow? <laughs> When we're about to jump off a cliff. Uh, no, they're about but, to die. They're about to die yeah. and they really want to know. Right, right. If they insisted, though. Yeah. Uh, typically, how I describe it is uh, it's it's if WordPress and Photoshop had a baby. Mm. Uh, so it's a professional. Oh. You're not I, actually, it. yeah, that, that, that sounds like Rosemary's baby to me. That, that sounds, <laughs> From the depths of hell comes Webflow. <laughs> And like then they say that, that baby was uh, adopted by somebody else and like lovingly taken care of and okay. grown into a Oh, okay. Okay. Well, then that's that, a problem. Individual, yeah. We were talking about this ahead of time, ahead of the show. And both myself and Jonathan, we, we said, you know, I, I really wanted to hate Webflow because when I first saw it <laughs> a couple of years ago, I was just like rolling my eyes. I'm like, oh, it's another Wix or it's another Squarespace or whatever. And I went over and checked it out and I, I, grudgingly had to actually really like it like I was <laughs> I was I was half annoyed and half relieved you know what I mean um yeah absolutely. because it looked to me like a a gooey website builder that was designed by a programmer whereas some of these other ones look like they were designed by marketing people that didn't really know what you might want as a web developer you know yeah absolutely I mean at the end of the day webflow is just like dev tools Hmm. except way more kind of taken into the design world. Hmm. Uh, but the core concept is uh, how do we build a direct manipulation interface that's built on top of core web uh, and web development principles, right? Like we don't, we don't uh, sort of dance around the fact that you have to understand like the core technologies like, you know, the box model, uh, mm -hmm. how to think about responsive web design, how to think about content modeling, like building out actual component systems. Like these are things that, you know, good developers need to know and good designers that are doing this stuff visually also need to know this stuff to, to create really professional work. So at the end of the day, we created, we were all developers or designers who were really developer minded, you know, working through dev tools, uh, working in code, writing CSS, et cetera. So we wanted to create a tool for ourselves to just move faster. And, and that's what Webflow ended up being. And I think that really shows because a lot of the people, first of all, all the people that are on the podcast right now, but then also 
most of the people listening are very skilled with HTML, very mm-hmm. skilled with CSS. It probably runs a spectrum in terms of JavaScript, in terms of people that are very yep. comfortable with the front end frameworks or, you know, right, or a little bit of JavaScript or whatever. But everyone is coming from that kind of developer centric perspective. And I think it's important that we don't lump of all of these tools in together. I've been saying for a long time that if you're not willing to learn some of the more difficult things in modern web development, like you're going to start using tools like Webflow more and more because mm-hmm. they take care of a lot of the hard stuff for you and you can focus on the the design aspects of it, right? I mean, it's it's really, it's pretty impressive tool, but how, how did it get started? Uh, that's a good question. I actually started four times, tried to get Webflow off the ground four different times starting in 2004. Right. So I was I was doing a lot of web design work uh, with Dreamweaver, believe it or not. Those are the uh, I still have the battle scars. Oh my uh, god! Bad experience. <laughs> a lot of flash too. Um, oh so and where where were you? Were you on your own or, or what were you doing? Uh, yeah, I was just I was just on my own. I actually I started doing web design work in um, in Sacramento, and then when I went to school at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, mm-hmm. uh, I, I took a class on on Dreamweaver sort of like proper HTML structure. This is like way before, you know, the web standards movement, et cetera. And then really hated that entire experience, uh, n- not with web design in particular, but with uh, studying computer science. And then I moved up here to San Francisco to go to the Academy of Art and study art. And uh, ultimately having this kind of dream of working at Pixar and doing 3D animation and visual effects, et cetera. And this is where I really picked up, um, you know, more clients, started having to work to, to pay pay uh, tuition and, and rent, et cetera. And, and that's when, you know, the first attempt at getting Webflow off the ground started where, where I thought about, like, how could I speed up my own workflow for uh, finishing web design clients, finishing web design work? And then over the years, it sort of waned and, uh, you know, kind of went in ebbs and flows around how much I was working on Webflow versus just picking up other tools off the shelf. There was like Joomla and uh Drupal and and WordPress that all sort of came along for the ride. And then at at some point, uh, a couple attempts in, it sort of like died out. In 2007, I tried to like actually uh, start a startup around it again. But then Weebly came out and I still thought that Webflow is going to be similar to Weebly in that sense. Hmm. Uh, You know, like really, really basic and uh, kind of more for like consumers and, and marketers, et cetera, where it's like, you know, pick a template, drag and drops and stuff around. But it wasn't until 2012 where I started doing a, a ton of projects with my brother. So, uh, and the projects like escalated in terms of scope. Like before I was ju- doing all this stuff by myself and I was a pretty bad designer, uh, despite <laughs> school. Um, you know, I thought I was good, but then, you know, neither my clients nor any other designers thought that that was the case. Right. Uh, well, that's, 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 a, with my brother. that's the story of my life is thinking I'm yeah. good at something and, and not really being, but that, that's something that Verity and I were talking about is that I, I think, you know, arrogance is seen, seen as a negative quality, right? Mm-hmm. But I think you need some amount of it to be able to survive this whole development sphere because you have to look at something and be like, yeah, I could do that. You know what I mean? Without yeah, I think, I think I'd I'd couch that as, or maybe frame that as like blind optimism okay. uh, and confidence versus arrogance. Okay, uh, fair enough. But yeah, I, I, a well, good we'll, amount. We'll of, give you the blind confidence, and we'll give me the yeah. arrogance. How about okay. that? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, but yeah, then I started working because Sergi, my brother, was an actually good designer. Hmm. Um, he would 
you know, the, the kind of pitches we started doing to clients. And again, this is all like sort of moonlighting. I would, both of us had mo- daytime jobs at the time. We started doing bigger and bigger projects where like his designs were really killer, hmm. like really amazing. And then they were different every time, you know, like every client was a new type of like pitch, new story, new brand, et cetera. But then my job was always the same. All right, take that take that design that we created and change it into a WordPress template. And that's like, you know, a bunch of PHP, HTML, CSS, and usually, you know, like picking out a template that looks the closest to that in various marketplaces and sort of like hacking it to hell and figuring out how to make it uh, look like the design that Sergey created. And then over time, it sort of became really, really tedious for me to do my job, especially right. with, like, you know, after even after you launch, you got to deal with all these like theme updates and like security updates and yada, yada. But Sergey was really, really loving his job. Because every project was, you know, something new and it's good money, et cetera. Well, maybe he um, just liked to torture you. He'd like to come up with designs that would be really, that, really hard for you to do. <laughs> that probably, uh, that probably was the case. I, I had a, so he's four years younger and I had my own, you know, shared experience of torturing him. Oh, so. I'm sure. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to get you back for those times you held me down and put me in a headlock. You just do this design, Vlad. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, at one point, it was just just became obvious that I, I wasn't really enjoying it. And we kind of came to the conclusion of, you know, I don't I don't really want to do this. And then I saw this video one day called Inventing on Principle. It's by this guy. I've seen that. Patrick. It's great. Holy crap. That video immediately changed my life. Like the second I saw that video, the next day I saw like I saw that video. I read this paper called Magic Inc. by the same person on his website, like the, the website. Brett, is- Brett Victor. Yep. The website is worrygreen.com. Like he has some amazing, amazing talks. Mm -hmm. The next day I called my boss and and put in my notice to to start Webflow because it was like immediately became obvious that the web needed this direct manipulation type of interface to do the 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 kind of programming that we do in a text editor. Right. And just make it a lot more human. Make it make it possible for Sergi to do everything that he wants to do, like fulfill his vision for for how he imagines these like websites and applications working and just let him do the whole damn thing. Right. And and that's where the 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 kernel of like the main idea that Webflow became came from. So the wow. interesting part about this to me is that you were getting tired of implementing all these designs, right? So you were kind of looking at this from the point of view of, ah, this is a lot of work, right? And you weren't really enjoying it. And I think that really, really good engineers, Verity, I think another quality that you need to be a really good engineer is you got to be somewhat lazy in that you have to not like doing the same BS over and over again, where you are be like, I'm going to see if I can... Yeah. Whereas you're, you're going to be like, I'm going to see if I can automate this, you know? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that you weren't doing work anymore. In fact, you probably created more work for yourself, but you said, okay, brother, I, what I'm going to do is instead of building these sites constantly for you, I'm going to build the tool that lets you build the site, right? Yep. I mean, so you kind of transferred where the work was being done from the, what probably became boring to you, the repetition of trying mm-hmm. to re-implement things over and over to something that was probably kind of exciting to you, probably, probably a ton more work, but probably much more exciting to you to be able to build this tool to then empower other people to do this stuff, right? Absolutely. And the key thing was that it wasn't just me saying like, hey, I'm going to build you a tool Mm -hmm. uh, that does everything I do, but I'm going to include you to design the tool that you would want to use to think the way that you think, but still have the same output. 
Right. Uh, because if it was just me, you know, I would sort of default to the kind of dev tools that we're used to. Yeah, right? we, like, we'd be using Webflow and we'd be using Webflow and Terminal, right? <laughs> exactly. It'd be like Webflow, the, the bootstrap competitor, right? right. Or, or whatever. Well, this, I think this is a really good time. Verity, you had some initial experience, like when you got started doing anything with web development, you had experience with one of these kind of build your own design type of web thing, yeah. right? What, what yeah, happened there? I did. Oh, my, uh, my trigger for becoming a web develop a web developer was actually trying to work with a website builder where they provided like a certain number of templates and within the template, you could change like the button color and the font, but not a whole lot. And, um, what I'd was spend... it? What was it? No, I'm not going to tell you what it was. You can, you can, you can shame them. It's okay. No, no, I'm about to say something really mean about them, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. Yeah, so I was working on this this web page. I'd never done anything like it before, so I spent probably a fortnight just trying to put this web page together within the template. Mm-hmm. And all I wanted to do was move a button from the right side of a page to the left side. And I didn't know about HTML. I didn't know about CSS, but they gave you access to the files. Like you click the button and it opened up a file for you and you could make changes. But there was no kind of like visual editor element of it. And so I was like, oh, there's the button. I'll just delete it and put it up there. Mm-hmm. And I must have ended up deleting like a layer of divs or something. <laughs> and the whole template broke. And I messaged their support team. I'm like, help me, please. I've been working on this forever. And they were like, look, sorry, you're going to have to start over. <laughs> and coming back to the the sort of a little bit of arrogance, maybe unjustified confidence, my response to that was, come on, it can't be that hard. Right. I'll just learn how to do it myself. Yeah. Carry that, on from there. That, that's a great story. And the reason I wanted her to tell that, Vlad, is I, I wanted, you know, so first of all, if we go in there and we delete a little bit of something, are we going to break our entire site in Webflow? No, absolutely not. So one of the key, um, one of the key constraints that we added for ourselves is that we're not adding a side-by-side split code view. Mm-hmm. And the the whole kind of structure behind how Webflow is architected is uh, based on like these abstractions that I mentioned, right? We have an abstraction over DOM nodes. Uh, we just call them abstract nodes or nodes. And, you know, they... You can, you can structure them however you want, uh, but everything is like well-typed in the sense that you can't just like not close something, not close a tag or, or put it. something in the wrong place. You ultimately have control over your entire page structure, but there are a bunch of guardrails around, um, you know, not not crossing a, a T or dotting an I or whatever. So we've, um, we've heard about the DOM. And then we've using some of these more modern frameworks. We've heard about the shadow DOM. And it sounds like you've got the flow DOM kind of going on there, huh? Exactly. (laughs) Love it. That's the first time. uh, You know what? I think I'm going to start an internal rebranding effort today. Oh, I already trademarked it. Um, (laughs) Uh, I will license license the term for you for a very reasonable fee. But uh, you you forget that I'm Russian. I have connections. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, I take I take it back. IP means means nothing. Yeah, I, I take it back. Use flow dom. Use flow dom. Go ahead. You can use you can use it all you want. I take it all back. I'm sorry. I uh, love it. But I think it's a, uh, I think it's a, an important thing to talk about because all of us, right? So a lot of the people listening are pretty experienced web developers. You know, they can do HTML in their sleep. They can do all this kind of stuff. 
And one of the things when you're looking at these tools, like a, a lot of people just kind of scoff at them. They're like, oh, yeah. you know, ha, that's, you know, whatever. And that's because we've had negative experiences, right? We've, we've used Dreamweaver, right? We've used Wix. We've used, we, we, we've used these things, right? And again, like I said before, I wanted to not like Webflow. I checked it out and I'm like, God damn, this thing is actually really well done. And Patrick on here, Patrick, you're going to have to get on your knees because every time I would bring up Webflow and I would tell people, hey, look, you know, if you're a designer dev, you might be more productive if you use something like Webflow to make this. And, and Patrick is convinced that I have some kind of stock in Webflow. Right. <laughs> I am looking for your tax returns. I want to see the connections. I, I know what's going on. Yeah. Vlad, confirm for me right here that I own no stock and no piece of Webflow. Uh, confirmed. All right. Uh, so, so other than Flowdom. Other than yeah. Right. So here's the thing. Yeah. I totally understand that sentiment, and it's yeah. it's just a matter of time. Like every every single creative industry has gone through this transition of like skepticism right. um, as we head into more direct manipulation and visual tools. And it's warranted skepticism because you actually can't do everything that you would want to do in a kind of a visual declarative way that you can do in code. And, and here's a couple examples. Like when the digital publishing industry, uh, actually before it was digital, just the publishing industry, you know, like uh, anything that happened on paper, magazines, books, et cetera, sure. used to be like straight up done by designers, you know, via paste up, they would literally like glue things on paper, then hand things over to a postscript expert uh, or a typesetter. And that typesetter would translate that design into, you know, some some format that the printer understood. Oh, I totally know that. My dad owned a corporate marketing and communications firm. And, yep. you know, sometimes I would be in there in the afternoon. And that's one of the things that designers did. They had like a big, you know, desk that they worked at and they were actually cutting stuff out. And they had a big book of typography that you could flip through to look at the, the typefaces to pick and all that stuff. Yep. Yeah. And you you know, you had like a set um, and that sort of led to some of this like homogenization in magazine and book design where right. you kind of only had to pick from several layouts because, you know, the, in the bootstrap model that we see on the web, you, you sort of like stick to the constraints because those are the things that are easier. Right. Uh, and then once the one so software like PageMaker and, and InDesign and Quark Express, et cetera, like really took took over, it wasn't like it really took decades for people to, to become fully comfortable with it. But the point where we are right now, we're like 100 percent of all of the creative work and, and a lot of the things that used to be done by programmers, like systems level, you know, setting up entire uh, typographical systems for yeah. for for setting up like the entire style guide and style system. All that stuff happens directly in in that software now. And same thing with 3D animation software, right? Like most 3D animators back when Pixar first started were programmers. Like they're the people who understood like 3D, you know, vertices and and how like matrix uh, transformations work and NURBS and and like all the all the core primitives uh, for how how to you know animate and model and how you know surface lighting and how to create your own shaders, etc. And then like really really powerful software developed over decades. And by the way, during all of these sort of transformations, a lot of people who were doing this stuff by hand didn't really believe that you know it, it was possible to to move towards uh, kind of like a fully declarative way of of uh, making that stuff happen. Totally true. But then over time, you know, right now, if you look at the 3D animation landscape, the tooling landscape, the vast majority, like 99.9% .9 of the work is done via direct manipulation. And then when you have something that is uh, really custom, you have a technical director or a programmer to, like step in and write systems that also um, have a declarative interface, you know, with like sliders on on some sort of plugin or whatever, you know, if you're creating hair system or like an ocean sort of like current system or like a snow system, etc. All these things are sort of like plugged in and, and solved by programmers, but then the vast, vast majority of the work 
to do the actual creative output is done uh, visually and declaratively. And I think it's just a matter of time until that happens in, in web design. It's just like a fundamentally harder problem because you have, you don't have like a fixed screen size. You don't have, you have things like, you know, breakpoints, media queries and interaction and like different browser support matrices and, and kind of how, um, how something looks across, you know, different devices, et cetera. And I think it's just a matter of time until the tools catch up to where you can actually visually declaratively build the vast majority of things that, that front end developers build in a way that is still correct, like is accessible, has the right like content architecture, is delivered very quickly, et cetera. But that doesn't mean that that the roles of developers would go away. They're just moving on to more interesting problems. Like we have a massive shortage of developers, like on the order of a, a million people over the next 10 years to work on like even harder problems like, you know, machine learning and like creating more Oh, yeah. Algorithms and like, like actually working on deeper product work and sort of like back end stuff. And so um, I I totally agree with you. And this is something that I've been saying for some time is that there's going to be kind of a schism in terms of the work that is being done on web development. So one fork of that is going to be the people that embrace like the really hard development parts of it, where they're going to be using React or Vue or whatever, uh, and they're going to be coding their own frameworks, and they're going to be, you know, very much like development development, right? And then the other side of it is going to be heading towards tools like Webflow, where you still have to be a good designer and developer to, to use mm-hmm. it, but you've got this tool that accelerates you and allows you to do stuff quicker than uh, you, you could otherwise. And I think your analogy with these very various industries is quite apt. I mean, I had an uncle who was in the print industry and mm-hmm. I was around and I remember when the whole desktop publishing thing first kind of came out, right? <laughs> and it, I totally remember him talking about, you know, all this, and it, it hurt his business initially until he started embracing it, right? Yep. But the fun thing is that when desktop publishing first came around and people, people don't understand, like it was a big deal that you were actually able to print something and it looked nice enough that you could put it in a magazine. And when it first came around, everyone who was not a designer started just designing stuff for desktop mm-hmm. publishing. And you saw some of the most god awful, horrendous <laughs> designs like you had ever seen. But it was still kind of cool that they were empowered to do it. But I think Webflow is interesting because it's not targeted necessarily to, you know, the the person that owns a ballet studio that wants a yep. website. It's targeted towards developers. And I, I kind of view uh, Wix and Squarespace and those type of things as something that people might use to make their own site. Webflow, mm-hmm. an important distinction for me, and I may be totally wrong, but the way it looks to me is that this is targeted towards designers and developers, not necessarily someone that doesn't know anything about either. Yeah, absolutely. Like the way the way I see that difference is like if Wix and Squarespace, et cetera, were kind of like iMovie, mm-hmm. you know, where anybody could use it, you know, create a little short video, send it to your friends, et cetera. Uh, Webflow is more like After Effects. Right. Uh, where it's, you know, you people use it for professional work, you know, wedding photographers, movie studios, et cetera, et cetera. And speaking of that, speaking of that, I checked it, Vlad, to make sure that you weren't scamming us here. <laughs> Webflow.com, you're dogfooding it. It's built on Webflow, right? Oh, absolutely. We build everything on Webflow. We have some core products that are like, you know, used to be built by engineers, like mm-hmm. our entire template marketplace. We've been dogfooding Webflow since, I don't want to say since day one, because our first landing page page was uh, Webflow isn't powerful enough to build it mm-hmm. uh, in Webflow. But about a year in, we started making everything with Webflow. I think um, developers that make the best products are the ones that use their own product. Yeah. And actually, we we had a challenge where if you go through our website and we have some like 
pretty amazing marketing websites. And we have some of the best front end developers in the world, right? They're making the product that helps other people create these amazing websites. Mm-hmm. But even the things that you see on our on our website, the animations, the interactions or whatever, are brand designers, the people who are not developers at the core, like they, they don't know how to write the syntax to, to, to make like the perfect HTML structure, et cetera. But they now know the core abstractions on how to structure their pages and, and set up styles and set up like uh, animation, animations and interactions in a way that that presents like it, to to create what you see right now on webflow.com. And a lot of our front end developers, like I'm a front end developer, I spent 15 years doing this stuff. I don't even know where I would start to recreate that in a reasonable amount of time. Because um, right. that's what happens when you put like, when you put these abstractions into the hands of really creative people, you know, th- by working within the constraints, they can create like these amazing, amazing experiences. But what do you do with people that are skilled enough that they know Flexbox pretty well and you yeah. know, maybe they're starting to learn CSS grid and they, they don't, a tool like this or like, ah, I don't know. Like I'm a hands craftsman. I don't really trust. I'm not sure yeah. if I trust this thing. You know, what do you, what do you say to yeah. people like that? That's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, usually that, that involves like a pretty, you know, one-on-one conversation where it's like, Hey, let's, let's dig into this and I'll show you exactly how, what you do in Webflow is one-to-one what you would do in code. And, and there are some, some limitations where, you know, you don't have the same flexibility as you would in code, of course, like sure. if you want to use some sort of, you know, like tailwind CSS or something like that, like Webflow right. doesn't that you you kind of have to stick with webflow's abstractions but do you know what else it prevents you or limits you from doing it limits you from making horrible mistakes <laughs> right <laughs> it lets you focus on the design it lets right. you focus on the, the content architecture it lets you focus on the final product that you're creating which is right. really like the 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 most amazing thing about it is that it empowers maybe less so for for developers who already know how to do this stuff by hand like right. It, like for developers who like can already do it, it's nice that they can do it faster, but it's incredibly empowering for people who can imagine this stuff, right. but don't actually know, uh, you know, how to open up a text editor and write the exact syntax and put it up on Netlify or whatever. Well, you know like, what? You I'll know, tell you what. I'll tell you what convinced me, and I don't know if this is helpful to you at all. It's really basic, though. So first of all, I was I was pretty impressed by the feature set that was um, up on, uh, you know, that Webflow had. Mm-hmm. And again, this was a while ago yep. that I first looked at it, and I still was very impressed with it. And I begrudgingly kind of came over to it and said, oh, this is actually pretty good. And then I viewed the source and I'm like, all right, it actually doesn't suck. You know, it actually was generating pretty good HTML, you know? Yeah. And it's, uh, I think the key is that Webflow is not actually generating things per se. Hmm. It's actually mapping one-to-one to what you create, right? So if you drag in a div block and change its HTML content type to like section, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to have a section, right? Like, and then you drag a button inside, you're going to have a button inside. You give right. it a class name, that button's going to have that class name. You like, um, it's a it's a one-to-one abstraction over CSS and HTML and, and JavaScript. So, and, and that's an important distinction though, is that, and this is something that you were mentioning before, but I just want to hammer it home to people that are, that are listening to this, is that you're not just using a visual design metaphor. You actually are mapping things to actual HTML entities, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. It's it, and it just basically saves the the mental overhead of having to right. um, remember all the syntax. Like I know a ton of developers, myself included, who have to have like the flexbox cheat sheet open when when coding layouts. You know, hundred no, percent. I, I don't remember like flex basis. I, I'm hundred percent looking that up every time. Yeah, and like, okay, I challenge everyone on here. You know, I'll give you a hundred dollars if you can if you can write from memory a radial gradient CSS. <laughs> 
like it's every time you just like go google it you know what's the syntax do a generator copy paste it over well, it's, it's development by stack exchange right yeah <laughs> and actually you know, what, like, you know we mentioned uh whatchamacallit uh 3d animation and digital publishing or whatever but stuff like this has happened in actual development over the last 50 decades and if this brit victor guy has this um a talk on this called the future of programming that sort of like goes back in time and and analyzes this and like Every single developer had to know before exactly how to write assembly or or to like optimize for assembly. Right? I am one of those developers. I used to code in assembly. There you go. And now um, how many people going into like a boot camp, you know, learning React are ever bothered with assembly? It's just been abstracted away for us where compilers and like, you know, runtimes are essentially taking browsers are taking care of this stuff for us. We're we're now working on a higher abstraction or, or playing field where we're worried about closer to like business problems or like how we're creating a UI rather than exactly how is this going to be kind of executed on the metal or on the CPU. And and that's what Webflow is. It's just like creating another layer of abstraction where you don't have to worry about like specific CSS syntax, specific JavaScript syntax. But at the end of the day, it's actually doing the same exact thing for you. Like if you write a algorithm in JavaScript and just because it happens to be like, I don't know, some sort of like shallow loop that the optimizing compiler then transforms into like a series of flat instructions. Like you don't know that. It's just like randomly right. kind of just works. But it, but your intention for it is what actually the computer ends up uh, executing. And that's exactly what flows. You declare how you want your website to look and function and we'll take care of the rest. And actually... Behind the scenes, we've actually switched the technology on which Webflow runs or Webflow sites run in the background. That's what I want to um, know. That's what I wanted to know. What What did you originally write this on and what are you using now from a backend and front-end perspective? So originally it was all, so backend it was Node, but the way that everything was architected on the front-end was all, what was it, underscore at the time. And then we switched to jQuery and then we switched to Knockout and then we switched to React. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of the way that Webflow sites are declared, it's actually JSON. And that okay. JSON was like automatically versioned for all of our customers without them ever knowing how we translate that JSON to right. the, the end technology. So now we so you have, you have got a version field so it knows how to interpret the, the data that's in there. Exactly. Yeah, and nobody okay. like no developer has to go in there. No designer has to go in there, and, like make a decision. Right. We make that centrally. And now all Webflow sites are rendered with React on the server. And, that, um, and that's amazing because if you've got the, the JSON in there, you've mm-hmm. already made an API. <laughs> Exactly. And we can actually, like, if we decide to, we can say, all right, now Webflow sites can render to view. Right. And we can do that centrally for all of our sites without anybody knowing. Right. Uh, And that's the beauty of, like, having a declarative model around how your website or application is sort of specified. And that gives you all this, all this functionality that you usually keep in your head. So for example, if you have, you know, a style sheet, and then you have a, um, some sort of markup, and you have classes that are referred to from the markup to the style sheet, right? You have to remember as a developer, like, hey, if I rename this, I need to go and like, place XYZ to go rename it or whatever. You have to run some sort of tooling to figure out is this class used or is it not used, et cetera. Whereas in Webflow, we link everything by IDs behind the scenes. So so the name that you give to a class is just like a presentational thing, right? For you to kind of track what name you gave to a specific class. But once you go rename that that class, it automatically renames. uh, There's a graph that, that describes how nodes linked to um, what we call style blocks, which is our abstraction over uh, CSS style declarations. That way you can never delete a class that's already in use, right? And you can automatically clean up and deliver like the most efficient code possible because you know exactly which classes are used and which are not. Hmm. Even if those 
classes are dynamic. Like, for example, if you have something that uh, is only visible when some field in the CMS flips from like false to true, we have all that declared at the at the JSON level. So we can make those decisions at compile time to say, hey, like this code isn't needed or like this, uh, this part of the style sheet isn't needed. So, so those are the things that you only really get when you like, declare everything at a uh, at this lowest possible level and that's super that would be super annoying for a developer to do right like you don't want to give an id to each of your classes right you want it to be more human readable right uh, but that's the kind of flexibility you get once you start to like move up that ladder of abstraction and treat those low level, lower level primitives as as something that the machine generates so in addition uh, in addition to making the website easier for developers to build the other thing that you've kind of taken out of the equation is the hosting right like yep. as soon as you design something in Webflow, like there's your site, you're done, right? Yep. You press a button and it goes live. And we have all the sh- fancy schmancy features that you might have with GitHub. Well, maybe not all of them, but like getting there. Right. So you can have like a staging version and a production version. You can make snapshots and go back to to specific specific points in time in in your entire project. And I think Uh, that's huge for a lot of the people. First of all, a lot of developers in general just don't want to do DevOps, right? (laughs) They're like, I'm a designer developer. Like, I just don't, I don't want to deal with it. Right. And it's also something that a lot of the people that are listening to this, a lot of them are coming from the the craft CMS world. And we got Mm -hmm. some people that do use Gatsby and a whole bunch of other, you know, different tools and everything. But that's, that is one annoyance. Like, especially if you've got a, a site that is not a real, you know, huge site you don't want to spend like a day getting the the server up and running Uh, like it's just it's just really irritating that you have to do that but can it can it i'm sorry go ahead get your point in uh, yeah, I was just going to say for developers, it's an annoyance. Right. For designers, it's a straight up blocker. Like yes. they, they might want to build something for the web. Yep. They flat out don't know how. Like, uh, and, and you know, to tell them like, okay, go learn the fundamentals of HTML, like, you know, go to Codecademy, et cetera. You know how overwhelming that is? That's right. just like, They'll just walk away. To, They'll just wander to, off. To me, that's the most impressive part of Webflow is that just the artistry of this Venn diagram of different concerns that it, it sits annoyingly and perfectly at the center of those concerns. <laughs> So for a developer, you can actually look at the the code that it makes, you know, with great skepticism and see that it's not total garbage and go, hmm, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. As a designer, you can actually work with a web layout, not Mm -hmm. not a tool that, you know, somebody else will figure out how to translate it into a web layout, but you're working directly with it. And then hosting is just not a concern. (laughs) It's incredible. Yep. That's the uh, like the, the, the core, you know, mission of the company is that. We recognize that such a tiny percentage of the world knows how to code. You know, all of us in this room are, are privileged to the degree where we were able to learn it. Well, everybody except Patrick. But <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Vlad. We don't know about Patrick. Sorry. Go, go ahead, Vlad. Right, fair, fair. Well, you know, Patrick, you can use Webflow. <laughs> <laughs> He's not arrogant enough to be a yeah. developer. That's true. But, yeah, like really truly like one out of 400 people 0.25% of the world knows how to code and and the web is so so you know it's like this huge the biggest medium the most powerful medium that we've ever created like the the foundation of so many products like that control our lives now mm-hmm. um, or have impact on our lives and and to say that okay most people have access to consume on the internet but like one out of every 400 has access to create like meaningfully create for it not just like pick a template and move a button around right like yeah, and, that and is, shit, that's the biggest part of our of our mission yeah shit posting on twitter or facebook doesn't count as creating content right <laughs> <laughs> i mean let's hope it doesn't i mean it's a step in that direction but you know so 
So Vlad, I just want to let you know, and this is actually ties in really, really well to what we're to what we're talking about. So Webflow caused me to lose a job. What? Yeah, Web, Webflow caused me to use it. So I was on at, at, as a consultant to a company, mm-hmm. and they didn't have the time or resources to devote to uh, maintaining the site in Craft CMS. Uh, it was a marketing site, right? Mm-hmm. So they they transitioned it to use Webflow, and and I lost my job. You know, oh, man. I'm not bitter. I actually think I think it's <laughs> thanks a lot, Vlad. Yeah, thanks a lot, Vlad. <laughs> no, yeah, let, let me let me uh, sort of phrase it this way or yeah. uh, frame it this way. Uh, back in the 1900s, and I don't know. <laughs> I'm not that. I'm not that old, Vlad. <laughs> I know I'm gonna like whatever you say. When, when cars were cars were being invented, yeah. uh, one of the you know the the most active lobbies was for people who cleaned up the streets after horses. That's right. Uh, you know, they didn't want to lose their their jobs to do that. But like cars create like the the fact that cars are now so ubiquitous right. created so much more economic opportunity. So it created like such a level playing field, more yeah, level playing. Yeah, field. but now now the push is to get rid of all the cars. That's true. You know, like, <laughs> we work in like century scales. <laughs> no, no, no. So I'm not, I'm not bringing this up to, I'm not bitter about it at all, because I think that given where that company was at the time, I think they made the right mm-hmm. choice. Right. Yep. But I'm mentioning it because it's, it's kind of interesting in terms of where the web development business is going, right? There's a certain yep. segment that is going to need super custom, you know, application built type of stuff. And then you're going to be doing like that real low mm-hmm. level uh, right. kind of programming stuff. And then the other aspect of it where you want to put marketers in charge of being able to make websites, mm-hmm. like a tool like Webflow is like the thing for that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the way the way I think about it is kind of like the movie industry, right? Like the movie industry was really worried about okay, what's going to happen if like YouTube comes around and and it's right. so much easier to distribute all this content, are we going to be relevant, etc. And some some movies got made and distributed uh, you know, via like new type of channels, not yeah. not traditional like Netflix. Right. Exactly, but the movie industry is like thriving, right? Like in and the way the way that we've empowered millions, if not hundreds of millions, if not billions of people to now like have a voice and actually go to these platforms and like create something for themselves and like, you know, tell a story or start a show or do, you know, the kinds of things where they take advantage of the power of the internet without a gatekeeper in the middle. Like that's that's so much more empowering than than maybe a few people like losing out on some projects that weren't produced in a movie studio, et cetera. So I think this a similar kind of shift will happen in, in software development, like website development. I where, agree. Yeah. Some things, you know, some simpler projects are going to go to to folks who can bid lower and, uh, you know, build it faster with tools like Webflow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over time, there's still going to be massive demand for for awesome programmers. Maybe there there might be a hit for folks who are just doing like very, very low level development, not low level development, but like, you know, translating a PSD to HTML, yes. right? That's already, you know, we already saw that over the last 10 years, even without tools like Webflow. Right. Uh, that, that sort of like a race was, became a race to the bottom. I agree. The, the people in the middle that yeah. know HTML, some CSS, tiny bit of JavaScript, and then and then that's their jam. I think they're the ones that get squeezed out by this, right? I mean, the, the Webflows and the Wixes of this world are kind of like the, the, the robots that automated the assembly line to some extent, in that there's a class of job that it's it's going away. But that does not mean that there aren't opportunities in doing other things. Like, for instance, someone has to build Webflow, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and you've been doing and, a bunch of hiring from some luminaries in the uh, design system world. Can you tell me a little bit? What's the, what's the deal with this? You trying to take over the world? 
that was the plan originally. You know, like we put together a business plan. It was two pages. Mm-hmm. First page was, you know, just cover letter that said, this is a cover letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next page was like a uh, business plan. And it just said, take over the world. Oh, you have to say that in a thick Russian accent, please. Yeah. Go. It's like w- world domination plan. Step one. <laughs> build, build workflow. Step two. Kill robots. Oh, that's I'm, beautiful. Step three, get rid of James Bond. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to cause, I'm going to cause all your, uh, listenership to just drop off. Oh no, uh, no, this is, this is gold. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a transition for sure, but I think we're already in that transition. I agree. You know, even without tools like Webflow. I um, think I think that it started to happen. And that's the thing, right? A lot of these things like people don't realize they're happening until this is almost over. The silver lining is what you end up with is way more jobs created. Right. Because you create like these, uh, you know, democratizing effects, these empowering effects that help people you know, create more products, create more businesses, et cetera. And those businesses then hire more people to do more complex things. It's it's sort of like the circle of innovation. So I have a follow-up question. Uh, I'm wondering I'm wondering now where Sergey is and what's happened. I mean, it sounds like <laughs> if I was hearing you right, um, you got sick of, of implementing these beautiful mm-hmm. things you was building. So you kind of went the long way around and built a really amazing tool to stick yep. it to him. Now what? Does he just like send you gripes about Webflow or? Or, <laughs> or is he in the witness protection program or, or what's going on with Sergey? Yeah, so nobody has talked to Sergey for over five years. He's oh. still in the same closet that I had him locked in. Oh my God. <laughs> no, he's not. So he, he ended up being my co-founder uh, for Webflow and he runs our product and design org. And he's the one responsible for like moving it forward, oh, uh, cool. you know. At first, we started with like a visual, you know, page creator for just landing pages. And then he helped design our visual CMS, which is just like craft CMS, but it it pairs really well with our visual design tools where you like bind directly on the canvas. Then, you know, we built like the animations interactions product that was all his brainchild along with other people on our team. And then we just stepped into commerce um, and we're building a lot. So given the, the focus of the, the podcast, let's talk a little bit more about the CMS. So mm-hmm. there, this is not, so Webflow is not a thing where you can just build a pretty static front end. There's mm-hmm. actually a CMS behind it, right? Where you can have fields and data and all that kind of stuff, right? Yep. Totally flexible. Like we see it as essentially it's a graph database. Like you can, just like in craft CMS mm-hmm. uh, and similar like Contentful, you can structure whatever content that, that you want. It's what not kind of good. fields, what kind of fields do we have to play with? I mean, the the gamut of like images to plain text and numbers to image sets to references to other objects to mm-hmm. multi references which are like many to many type of collections we still don't have like a matrix equivalent field but you can uh, you can recreate some of the functionality with with sort of like the reference so you mentioned that it's a graph essentially is there yep. is GraphQL support something that you're kind of looking at or is that kind of well, that might already be baked in. So, so yeah, as you create, like we haven't open sourced this or like made it uh, public, but uh, when you create a database or a CML set of collections mm-hmm. in, in Webflow, it automatically generates a GraphQL endpoint for you. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> and then beautiful. our visual tooling, our visual tooling uses that those endpoints to bind to it. And our intention over time is to allow for our visual tooling to to hook up to any GraphQL endpoint. Wow, because uh, I because um, I looked in the docs and there was a REST yeah. API, but I didn't see anything about the GraphQL API. Yeah, we've been building everything on top of GraphQL for the last couple of years. So um, that's what your your actual tool uses. 
is what you're saying. Oh, that is, that's pretty Uh, amazing. What do you think of that, Patrick? What do you think of that, Patrick? And and check this out. As you're building, as you're building, (laughs) Webflow has this thing called a a collection list, right, which is just a repeater Hmm. uh, that is bound to some, like, uh, collection or set of collections. And as you're designing a component that that repeats in that repeater, we're auto, like, as you're binding to data um, that's available in that GraphQL endpoint or for that collection, we're automatically dynamically generating the, um, the most optimal query for the... Uh, for that that specific component, oh. designers don't even have to worry about like, okay, what data do I need? How do I pass these fields along? How do I like hydrate the the component, et cetera? Oh, that's it automatically does all that plumbing for you. That that's beautiful because then if you're using GraphQL, it knows what it to grab, so the actual mm-hmm. transactions are going to be as efficient as possible. Exactly. Uh, that exactly. is that is awesome. So the and. And you can't do things like, like for example, let's say I went uh, kind of the, the graph I mentioned or the connections between content structure styles and, and like the, the database schema. If you happen to go into a component and say, um, you know, bind something to uh, a dynamic object from the CMS and then you go to the CMS and you try to delete a collection uh, field, hmm. it'll say, hey, this collection field is used in XYZ layouts or oh. areas because we see exactly like what those bindings are. Right. You know the whole overview. So you can warn exactly. people ahead of time, hey, buddy, you know, don't you can't get rid of this. Right. And that's what I mean by well-typed. Like you can, hmm. you have to go like resolve those bindings first, like remove them in order to delete a field so you don't make a mistake. Or if you're introducing a new field, you you would sort of, that you're versioning, you would mm-hmm. kind of rebind things and then go delete. Can it um, show you the fields that you're not using anywhere? Yes, it can. Nice. That's so really cool. What, what's the best way to make a huge mistake with Webflow? Uh, not using it. <laughs> I was gonna say. Oh, look at look at Matt pitching up the softball. Oh my god! <laughs> I think maybe Matt secretly works for Webflow. Maybe no, I'm really good at making huge mistakes. Let me in there. I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll answer it uh, honestly. Like if you if you are just if you are going to Webflow and sort of treating it as a graphic design tool, right? Just like moving some boxes around and, and not, not really caring about the architecture of uh, how you are designing the page or laying things out mm-hmm. and doing it properly with, you know, Flexbox, Grid, et cetera, then you're probably going to have a bad time. Like a lot of a lot of people who don't go through the effort of learning all, you know, going through Webflow University. And we have like a really awesome free resource, uh, university.webflow.com, where you can like really learn the tool inside and out. But for example, if you don't learn things like relative positioning, right, like using percentage, uh, you know, percentage units and REMS and uh, kind of thinking about breakpoints as the way that a developer thinks about them and, and declare everything in pixels and then go to like a smaller breakpoint and like wonder why everything is sort of overflowing or, or not correct. Webflow is not going to do any magic for you to make that, you know, that structure better. You really, um, we've seen quite a few people get into that into that trap before where before really learning the fundamentals of how Webflow works, like trying to get into building layouts without really understanding, you know, how Flexbox and, and Grid work. And our, our goal over time is to make that easier to sort of by default not mess up. But at this point uh, where the product is today, it still, you know, requires quite a bit of training um, to understand uh, how to build things properly. So I've got one other question related to the the CMS aspect of it. So yep. one of the things that I've done a ton of work on from is SEO from the point of view of JSON-LD, structured data and, and that type of stuff. Does Webflow do anything with structured data? And then if it doesn't, is there a plugin system? So I've, I've written plugins for Craft CMS, for instance, to do SEO and does, does all the structured data stuff. Is there a way then that I could write 
a plugin for Webflow to add this structured data if it's not supported? Uh, so it's not fully supported right now. I mean, you can do a bunch of SEO stuff. Is that a whoa? Are you are you offering to hire me? Okay, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. But we are actually working on a plugin system right now. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't built to be pluggable from the beginning, but it's it's a huge priority for us right now. Right. To enable stuff like that, to enable developers to step in and um, extend well, our our entire application, like from. You- if you need a guy that knows a lot about structured data, like you, now you know. Now you can tap tap me on the shoulder. But I want to make sure we get other people in here. So, Patrick, what have you you've been hearing all this about Webflow? You were making fun of me, saying I had stock in Webflow. Uh, what are your thoughts? And you got any questions for Vlad? Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty impressed by it. I've been playing around. Um, I was trying to play on my iPad Pro earlier. So if you see any support tickets come on, come in for uh, iPad Pro support, that was me. Uh, <laughs> I think you need to have a mouse for it to work. Oh, well, iPad OS 13 or whatever it's called will uh, have most support. So, yeah, yeah. it should be interesting. And it, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm pretty impressed by what I see. I, I want to jump in and, and play with it. Yeah, I agree with Andrew that a lot of the, the smaller sites are going to be serviced well by someone like Webflow. You know, there are competitors to it, Squarespace, Weebly, whoever. I, I do like the control that it, it gives you. The other thing that I just got a, an email from Webflow about was almost something, I think, targeting agencies so that you get the ability to almost, it looks like, like do your, your charging of clients right through Webflow and let, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we, for agencies specifically and from freelancers, we, we want to be sort of like a web design tool in a box. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that involves managing all your clients' projects. And, and a big part of that is is billing, right? So mm-hmm. uh, what we do, we have a uh, feature called client billing where, let's say Webflow's hosting costs 20 bucks, but you can tell your client, you know, my, if you do like manage hosting or uh, you have some sort of like value add thing where you're kind of charging for a few hours of like maintenance per month. You can just say, hey, my fee per month to have your website run is $200 a month or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then you send your customer a white labeled link that has sort of your logo. It does, they mm-hmm. don't know that Webflow is involved. And they put in their credit card and their credit card statement says, you know, Patrick's web design shop or whatever. And that sort of just lets you manage all your clients through through one place and and have at the end of the day, you're just collecting that difference uh, into your own bank account. In Webflow, you know, we get our hosting fee, but we just make it easier for for people to charge whatever they want on top of that as profit. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, that was something that caught my eye, just not only making the development and the creation of templates easier, but entirely running a business. You could do quite a bit there and let it just go and you guys can you know, handle the credit card processing, all, all of that fun stuff. And is there any other, I mean, I'm assuming you still get hit with, you know, uh, an agency would have to pay the credit card fees, but otherwise it's just the the normal web flow fee that comes out. And otherwise, you know, it goes to the agency. Yep. And there's a small platform fee. I forget exactly mm-hmm. what it is. Like from the, uh, from the profit that you add, I think mm-hmm. it's like 5% that we add. Uh, okay. That we- that. No, well, it's interesting. And, I, yeah. And Patrick, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because something that I've heard you say on a number of occasions, and you know, it's a, it makes complete sense is that you should be spending your time where you add the most value. And there yeah. are very few freelance web developers that they're adding value by doing the bookkeeping, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So it makes complete sense that this is something that uh, they might like, you know, Webflow to, to take over for them. But uh, Jonathan is someone that has done a whole lot of craft CMS web development. To his shame, his current <laughs> website is done in WordPress. But Jonathan, you... Do with it. Jonathan! I know. <laughs> and I can't believe it. I mean, it's unbelievable. But um, 
he I successfully is, kept that secret from Andrew for years. I know <laughs> it's crazy, but so you, Jonathan, are planning to use Wordflow, or you, you are using Word, uh, Webflow. What did I say? Did I say Wordflow? You did. Wordflow. Oh that's my our next, God. That's our next product extension. <laughs> Wordflow. Word yeah, with uh, the you can use Wordflow with <laughs> oh, <laughs> drag and drop. Word processor where you have to drag every letter on the screen. Yeah, you can I use. Love I love it. You can use Wordflow with your web with your Flow DOM and all that. But but Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan is is rebuilding his website using Webflow, right, Jonathan? Yeah, I am. And so Andrew mentions the uh, shameful WordPress thing that I currently have. <laughs> I mean, th- that came about just because when when you're super busy and you're not a huge company, like yeah. the last person you have time to work for is yourself. And right. so we needed to get a site up. And so the project manager that was working for me at the time found like a WordPress thing and we sort of hacked it together. Uh, very shameful, but that's what we did. And so <laughs> the, the time had come to redo the site. And uh, just like Andrew had mentioned earlier, like I really wanted to not like Webflow. I wanted to sort of, I wanted mm-hmm. it to be like another Wix, but I got in there and um, it hasn't launched yet, but it's pretty close. Um, the site that I'm working on for myself uh, in Webflow. And what was so great about it was it was just fun. So like as a, as a developer, it sort of removed the, the, the biggest pain, uh, which for me is always scaffolding. So it's like even having to make the decision, like what tool am I going to use for this? Like, how am I going to deploy it? What's my build going to be? All this kind of stuff. Like right. none of that, none of it. Like, it's just fun. You can go in there. It, it still allows you to have that control that you need as a developer. You mean I don't um, have to tweak? Like a, you don't you mean yeah. I don't have to tweak my, my Webpack build? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like I can do something without seeing like the screen of death overlay yeah. from Webpack that right. says I did something wrong or whatever. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I just like the thing that struck me the most is how much fun I had sort of playing with it. And, um, not even just for production sites. So like something else that we were talking about earlier was I've really been trying to figure out a good solution for prototyping. And there's like so many of these tools now that are, that are like in the market for this, like Framer. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're like in the React world, there's like Marvel and all this kind of stuff. But while I was doing my research to kind of see what the options are out there, I kept seeing Webflow show up on these lists for like mm-hmm. uh, prototyping. Um, and mm-hmm. I wondered if that was something you had ever imagined product being used for is like people actually prototyping an app in Webflow as opposed to building maybe like a full production yeah. ready uh, app, uh, website. That was honestly a surprise, uh, you know, because we saw ourselves as a production website builder. But, you know, now now looking back and we have a ton of people using Webflow for prototyping. I'm not surprised now, uh, you know, in retrospect, because it's the key killer features that you're actually developing on the on the same medium that you're going to be deploying to, right? Which is a yeah. totally huge difference. Maybe X is starting to get close to that, but the the key thing with other prototyping tools is that you're sort of like creating this idea of what you think it's going to be, but you can't declare it the same way that that is actually going to run in the browser. And the cool thing about Webflow is that designers who are using it for prototyping, they know exactly the constraints and possibilities of the medium, um, and they're building, you know, in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, just just visually. And what they have as a result of that, you know, when they send a link that they developed in Webflow or whatever, they know that's possible because it's actually running in, right. in their project, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's built in the same sort of like. And a lot of times, developers will even take that code and copy paste it into 
you know, the, the final production code base or whatever, because it's like it's it's so close, if not the exact thing that you might want. Yeah. I wonder how many people actually start prototyping in Webflow and then they get to the end and they're just like, uh, I'm done. This is it. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> Launch the site. Actually, a lot. And we have some some like pretty big startups now, like Lattice and uh, HelloSign, which is just got assigned by uh, bought by Dropbox, um, where they started as a, hey, let's check this out. Let's see if we can build some like landing pages or, or you know, like a hero section that has like an animation or whatever. And then boom, their entire marketing presence now now runs on, on Webflow because like the speed is so much faster. You empower designers to just like get their vision into real life and just launch it. You know, you don't have to, like this this gatekeeper translation step. What, um, what a great stealth way in, right? You can be just like, yeah. oh, you know, we're just going to use this tool to prototype it. And then you get it to the point where it's done and you can convince, you know, the skeptical product manager. You can be like, look, yeah, I mean, we could redo the whole thing and we mm-hmm. could spin up, you know, DevOps and get it spun up and... We do, the, or we could just click this button, <laughs> and, yeah, we're, and no, we're live, it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the ultimately, you know, the value is in bringing something to your, you know, your visitors or right. your your actual domain. Right. Uh, like the the implementation details really don't matter Agreed. that much. As long as Agreed. And as developers, we get hung up on that all the time, right? We're like, oh, you know, we got to You can't do that in Vue. You have to do it in React. You know, it's going to be terrible. Client yeah. and the visitor on the site, they don't give a crap. Like, they don't care <laughs> that you mm-hmm. used X, Y, or Z. They care about the the end result of this thing. But, you know, yeah. Webflow as a company, you're kind of a big deal now, right? You got over 100 people working there. Is that true? Yep. 105. That is Ooh, crazy just, just to... And that is big, man. Like, that is a pretty Jeez. big company. Like, I, I've got an idea of, of scale. The biggest my company ever got up to was 13. So, I got a... It's, which is tiny compared to what you're talking about. And, but I've got an idea of scale in terms of the amount of business that you're doing. So, I mean, you're kind of a big deal now. You're such a big deal that Verity, believe it or not, she is on from Australia right now. Where, what time is it, Verity? Uh, it's 4 or 6 a.m. Right. Oh, no. So Verity, Verity <laughs> knew that we were doing this podcast and she's like, I really want to be on with Vlad. That is how much of a big deal you are, Vlad. Wow. I appreciate that, Verity. Thanks for Getting up early. So what, what questions do you have, Verity, as someone that both in your, your job at a financial institution, you're using Webflow, and then also mm. you want to be using it or are using it uh, for some freelance clients. So what, you got any questions for Vlad about this thing? Oh, look, I think you, you've kind of like, you've really hit the nail on the head with a lot of things that um, we've covered so far. We um, went through a really interesting transition earlier this year where um, we originally had our marketing site built with the Craft CMS and it had, you know, loads of really good features and loads of potential. But as we started, um, the dev team moved towards developing, um, actually redeveloping the application form that we use for, for our product. Um, we ended up finding that the dev team just had absolutely no time whatsoever to help the marketing team with the website. And so the decision was eventually made to move it over to Webflow um, to enable them to really take control of, of the, you know, the, the layouts and um, what kind of messages they were putting out. And it's, it's been a really powerful transformation, actually, and really interesting to watch how, you know, something that came to a standstill for six months while we were working on this application form, just all of a sudden has this new life where um, they're creating landing pages and, you know, updating designs and testing all different kinds of things. It's been, it's been really, really, really cool. And so I obviously wanted to make sure that I knew what the hell Webflow was and, and <laughs> how it works in case they ever asked me to 
hey, can you go and fix this thing? And I really found the um, actually the supporting ecosystem. Sorry, I'm not sure how to Ooh, help. That's my Google Home. <laughs> um, Wait, whoa, what was that? <laughs> yeah, I found the supporting ecosystem around Webflow super helpful. Like the university I did on one Sunday afternoon, I did like the crash course 101. Mm-hmm. And I think for marketers, that kind of thing is super, super powerful to just get this crash course information of yeah. how you can get started with everything. This is something yeah. that we've talked about with a number of tools is that if you want people to pick it up, you need to have good documentation and you need to have good training resources. And Webflow is university. I mean, it's brilliant that you have that in terms of getting people on board, you know? Yeah, it's one of our biggest assets, honestly. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, such a complex product from uh, from one perspective and, and you really, we can't rely on, you know, people just figuring it out magically. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have to, we have a huge uh, responsibility to, to teach it. We still have a lot more to do there. You know, we're only providing that content in English right now. We're o- it's only sort of um, limited to specific features. Uh, we're going to be expanding it a lot more uh, in the future to, you know, teach people how to become freelancers, teach people how, uh, like some of these core concepts behind content architecture and, and how to run an agency and, and sort of empower people as much as possible to, mm-hmm. to do this kind of work. And if I could uh, suggest, like I would have a training video for each type of developer that you're looking to get interested in Webflow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I would have a Webflow course for web developers where you can show and assure them that, hey, this thing actually is really good and your web development skills are going to be used here. And, you know, same thing like, you know, Webflow for marketers and, and that type of thing, because yeah, a lot of what idea. you're going to have is you're going to have people coming from different perspectives and the features you're going to need to sell them on to get them interested. Mm-hmm. They're going to be different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's honestly like, it makes me so happy to hear these, these stories, especially from developers, uh, around, um, you know, more of a mindset of acceptance of tools like Webflow, mm-hmm. because, you know, five years ago when we were getting started, it was just, you know, like we, we had to hide from developers because wow. the, the overall, you know, mindset and we, we shared it, right? Like was that it's really, really hard to create tooling that does the right thing. Right. Uh, and doesn't, you know, spit out crap code, et cetera. Well, the, uh, your problem was that the, the existing solutions were not aimed at developers and they were viewed by developers as kind of toys, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly. Right. Yeah. But the proof's in the pudding. Right. Like when right. people actually start building real things. And right. and I think our you know, the thing I'm most proud of is how many production sites now run uh, with Webflow. It's about seven trillion. I just totally made that a number up. Seven uh, That's impressive. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it really just shows that people are willing to trust us and, and they're getting a lot of value from you know, like running their entire marketing site or running like some new project uh, off of Webflow because it's just like faster, easier, et cetera. I would um, say empowering is a great word because it, it, it did feel really empowering to just play around with Webflow. And as Jonathan mentioned, not have to worry about <laughs> a lot of the stuff that we, we normally have to, to worry yeah. about. But I'm, I'm interested in, in, Matt, if you've got any input or questions about this, because Matt, you came from a design background and I'm wondering if the... Mm-hmm. If, you know, I, I don't know. I'm conflicted in terms of whether Webflow is going to interest you because from a design background, it will interest you. But from a deep dive, I make my own soap perspective, like, I don't know if you could handle it. I mean, could you? No, 
It, we just, uh, a project just launched this morning that we spent a while working on, um, mm-hmm. and it was an existing craft site that we actually kept with craft, mm-hmm. but we used or the, the designer on the client's end used Webflow to mock up a page. And mm-hmm. we actually had this discussion, should mm-hmm. should the whole site go over to mm-hmm. Webflow right. or not? And even though we chose not to do that, the discussion that we had because of prototyping this page where the designer mm-hmm. wasn't providing comps, but was actually, we were looking at actual web layouts. We had a discussion that I'm not used to having, which is <laughs> what what are the implications of this specific thing for the rest of the site right. or the person managing content um, and, and for the design team. And using Webflow specifically to look at mocks helped us focus on a lot of things that were about building the site and, and what we should do with the existing site that we had. Um, so even in the case where we didn't use it for production, it was extremely useful just in elevating the discussion mm-hmm. about what we were doing. So. I mean, it was useful even when we weren't using it right. uh, in, in the end. So I hope that's not cheating or disappointing to hear. No, but, no, um, awesome. The fact that it even was part of the conversation is integral right. to the conversation. Awesome. It was great. Well, again, and this is a conversation that we're going to have, we've had for years and we're going to have for years to come. Use the right tool for the job, right? For some jobs, Absolutely. Webflow will be the absolute perfect tool. For other jobs, craft might be the absolute perfect tool that depends on exactly what you're doing and and what you're building. The main thing that I, and one of the main reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is first of all, Vlad, I've followed you on Twitter and I think you're hilarious. So I knew you'd be a great, I knew you'd be a great guest to have on. But then also I, I think it's important to let people know that, hey, there are options out there that actually don't suck in terms of being a, a GUI web builder that is targeted at developers. And I think there's just lots of people that they, they're scarred, man. It, it's mm-hmm. like it's like having a, an ex-girlfriend that just tore your heart out and stomped on it, right? The people have used Dreamweaver and they saw what it did to their HTML and it's just like... Yeah, I totally understand. They're, they're, they're scared to, to look at it. So that is a hurdle that you have to had to overcome. But that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is so we could have that discussion and, and make it clear that this is a tool that is aimed at designers and developers, right? Right. It's not meant for the average Joe. Like, okay, you can just pick up and and do whatever you want with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And pursuant to that, in addition to having a CMS backend, in addition to having a REST API and apparently a GraphQL API, I didn't even know you had. You also just in February came out with commerce. Right. Mm-hmm. T- tell yep. us, a, and we, we kept you on here for a while. I don't want to keep you too long, but give a, tell us a little bit about the commerce aspect of this. So for for Webflow e-commerce, it's the same. It was the same goal that we had with Webflow CMS mm-hmm. is how do we take something that is really powerful, but traditionally configured in code and, and make it completely visual. So in mm-hmm. the case of our CMS, you know, typically with craft or, or WordPress or whatever, you're sort of like setting up custom post types or setting up a, you know, some sort of like API, then you have to like glue it into your UI somehow and then deploy the thing. Whereas our visual CMS is just like, all right, you can focus on the design, bind your data visually, and then go to go, you know, go launch the thing. Um, and we wanted to do the same thing for e-commerce. And e-commerce has a bunch of options, right? But they're always templatized. So if you go to Shopify, right. if you go to all these tools, you pick a template, and then you can, you know, set up products and, and maybe, you know, create blog posts or whatever. But if you want to create a custom design, 
you're diving into the code. You're mm-hmm. going to liquid, you're going into like PHP, you're going into HTML, CSS, et cetera. And our goal was to like, how do you provide that same level of value and customization without code? Mm. Uh, and that's that's what the the killer feature of our e-commerce uh, product is. It's still, we're still playing catch up on a lot of the, like the behind the scenes uh, features, you know, the things that are sort of table stakes. You know, we don't even have a way to like discount products right now. We only support Stripe, et cetera. But the killer feature for our designers is that now they can actually offer offer selling e-commerce as a solution to their customers if they don't understand how to code it from scratch. Hmm. Uh, and for us, that's the critical, you know, the reason for being for our company and for our product is to empower people who don't have these skills uh, to be able to provide that as a service without having a subcontract out to some other developer, etc. Well, you mentioned something, a word critical, which mm-hmm. triggered something in me. So a huge focus of mine is on web performance. Right. And especially if you are venturing into the e-commerce world, performance Mm -hmm. is super important. Like it's been shown time and time again in terms of bounce rate, conversions, purchasing products. Like it's super duper important. Do you guys do stuff like do you generate the critical CSS? Do you have like out of the box? Do we get a good performance score in Google PageSpeed Insights, and do we get progressive web app type of stuff in uh, Lighthouse? So good question. Yeah, uh, mostly yes, <laughs> but we, we <laughs> have a lot of stuff that we still need to work on. Yeah. So progressive web apps are in progress, like the, you know, by default generating um you know, service worker and all the sort of manifest files, et cetera. So we haven't we haven't released that yet. Uh, so by default, you will have a very fast experience with just a stock e-commerce setup. You can mess that up by like adding a bunch of, you know, heavy things to your checkout flow. You know, right. If you, for whatever reason, want a two megabyte header image. Although we do have, autom- actually speaking of images, we automatically make all images responsive. So you don't have to use tools like Imagex or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll automatically kind of resize everything to to only load the smallest resolution on mobile. And Vlad, first you caused me to lose this contract job. And then that, that, that's actually a plugin that I wrote for Craft CMS. It's something that... Stepping that, on all kind of toes today, Vlad. Yeah. Sorry. Vlad, this is starting to get personal. I think you're... you're <laughs> but I actually noticed this when I was playing around with it because I, I thought um, I was I had some really large uh, like portfolio images that I was uploading when I was playing around with it. And I thought, well, I, I need to go back and like get this optimized because this is really going to slow it down mm-hmm. if I use this version of it. And that's when I viewed the source code and realized that Webflow had automatically generated all of my responsive images for me. It's pretty nifty. Yeah. And it, not only does it generate the uh, the source set uh, attribute, mm-hmm. we also, like this is, I don't think any other tool does, because everything is visual as you're designing, we're actually in the background cloning the entire iframe, which represents the canvas, and resizing it to every possible uh, screen resolution and measuring the images Neat. and coming up with the most optimal sizes attribute. Because we can determine, okay, when, when you're in tablet mode, right. this image at most is like, you know, 47 horizontal width of the, of you know, the entire screen space. Right. You don't have to make that decision as a developer. We're like automatically generating the best possible. And that and that's a pain to do by yourself. Like well, what you what you normally do is you just kind of look at your CSS breakpoints and you kind of come up with stuff that oh this is probably going to be yeah, good enough. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What's neat about that though is people that wouldn't even normally think yes. about that being a problem that they need to even solve. Like it's just solved for them. Like well, that, behind the scenes without them even knowing anything about. Right. Yeah. And this is the, this is what we want to bake into the software. So. Things like performance, right? Right before you publish, you do a checklist and says, hey, you're including, you know, font weights that aren't used on this layout. Like mm-hmm. maybe reconfigure your 
you know, like type configuration, et cetera. Or uh, we can, you know, do accessibility checks to to make sure that the, the components and layouts you're creating or the images you're shipping or, you know, the, the contrast ratio of your text to, to background, et cetera. We can present that to people who, who aren't, haven't been trained classically. Well, I don't know which developers have been tra- classically trained in this stuff. I think we all suck at it. Uh, <laughs> to, to, to sort of like make it more more likely that people kind of like fall into the pit of success, you know, like where they, they are guided to, to do the right thing. And, you know, when it comes to performance, for example, we've opt we've created optimizations that our users and our customers never knew that they had to like opt into, but makes their websites so much faster, you know, like server-side rendering and like uh, CDN distribution and, uh, you know, minifying images, it's minifying code, et cetera, like all the things that you would uh, um, kind of have to decide as a developer. Right. You you would have to consciously know about it, right? Because that's a yeah. big hurdle. A lot of people just don't know about it. And then exactly. you'd have to make the conscious choice that I am going to spend the time to solve this problem, right? Yep. So, I mean, first of all, you mentioned about developers being classically trained. Like, I feel like if you're in the ballet or you play the violin, you can be classically trained in something. But in development, like, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't well, know. Actually, I, don't, yeah. I went to I went to Juilliard for web development. <laughs> well, we, can, we can we can define this as if you're an expert in jQuery, you're yeah. classically trained. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that, that just means no. That just means you're old, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> but you know, regarding the so we had uh, the folks from Gatsby on here a while ago, yeah. and one of their things is you know out of the box, boom, you are going to have to actively work super hard to screw it up and to not have mm-hmm. a super fast website. Is that mm-hmm. something that Webflow does? Like, do you do you generate critical CSS and that kind of stuff for people, or is that uh, uh, we on, on the to do list? It's on the to do list. We don't okay. generate critical CSS yet. But you could, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. So we have all the primitives to be able to determine that, right? Um, right. Um, but that is a focus of of yours as well. Is that you want to make something that out of the box is going to be performant correct. for people? You mentioned, correct. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Vlad just clarified that he's digging a deep pit. Of success for people. Yeah. <laughs> the best pit to fall into. Well, I'm going to be, I like you, Vlad, so I'm not going to, we're not going to do the challenge. I'm not going to open up Google PageSpeed Insights and run it on the Webflow homepage, okay? Oh, oh, he'll do it, Vlad. He'll just do it after the podcast. I'll, oh, I, yeah. yeah, do it after the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh no, for sure. Like, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. It's it's happening. It's happening. Here's, here's, here's a baseline test, too, like create yeah. a new project Yeah. Uh, and run a test on that. Right. Uh, so there's there's a lot of things like, you know, we're kind of like everybody else where right. um, you're trying to ship a new version of the homepage and maybe there's a video on there that's like really heavy. I don't know. Um, I get it. I'm 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 yeah. mostly mostly kidding, but I totally will do it. Like I'm <laughs> that's no that's no joke. But seriously, Vlad, it's been fantastic having you on and I, I feel like we could talk about this for a whole lot longer because Webflow is a it's a very deep product. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that that is something that I definitely believe in is that good software is deep. It's not broad. In other words, let me kind of tunnel down to the the thing that is interesting to me. We recently had on Jay Phelps to talk about WebAssembly. Is that something that you've considered for, you know, some of the more data intensive parts of the Webflow front end? Or is that not even on the radar? Uh, we haven't looked at it too deeply yet, just because, you know, web layout is kind of where we yeah. um, mostly operate. And that still, you know, relies on 
you would have to it unless you can kind of like do layout in a web worker with i don't know yoga or something like that and well, i'm, like I'm thinking you know something that would benefit from it would be something very intensive so for instance the there's a, a project called squoosh where they did the real-time mm-hmm. compression of images you know in a browser yeah. and they used WebAssembly with it so maybe you know maybe the thing that makes your responsive images on the back end mm-hmm. maybe that would be a candidate or something like that you know. Yeah, that, that's still a, um, you know, the way we do it right now is just through Lambda and we only do it once. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then sort of like pre-optimize the images as uh, as you're designing the project. Yeah. So it's kind of like a pre-compile step, right? Versus a sure. runtime thing. But right. there are definitely a lot of things that, that we can take advantage of, especially as, as WebAssembly gets more mature. Right. Well, man, Vlad, seriously, it's been absolutely fantastic having having you on here, but that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. Have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to our RSS or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. You can follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. I'm Matt Stein. I'm Jonathan Melville. I'm Verity Stothard. And Vladimir Konstantinovich Magdalene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is beautiful. <laughs>